Welcome to Startup Jinto, a podcast by your host, The Finance Ghost, and the Venturing Vagabond, who writes fantastic startup-themed articles for thefinanceghost.com. Both of us are fascinated by startups and how businesses grow. Inspired by the Club for Mutual Improvement of the same name that was put together by Benjamin Franklin in the 1700s, in Startup Junto, we hope to pick the brains of players in the South African startup and venture capital arenas. In the process, we just want to learn. You do as well, which is why you are listening. Welcome to Startup Junto. Welcome to the second episode of the Startup Junto. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. As ever, I have the venture in Vagabond with me on the line. And today we have a very special guest for you. And we're going to talk about how life experience can help you create a business. And uh, I know how becoming a parent can affect you in ways you really don't expect, both good and bad. It's one hell of an experience. Baby Ghost is nearly nine months old. Many of you will have heard me talk about Baby Ghost before. Born as a hard lockdown baby and uh, therefore historically significant, not just because he's cool and has a great smile. And I've got here with me Shannon McLaughlin, who started Ubuntu Baba, which is certainly a South African brand that most of us will know. And Shannon, I just want to touch on something you've openly spoken about, because it's become a slight passion of mine, having had a baby now, and that is postnatal depression. Not many people talk about how tough that actually is, and how that fourth trimester, the first three months of a baby, are just so difficult. And we did it in lockdown, so we didn't even have help from family. I mean, it was, it was tough times for Mrs. Ghost, I won't lie. And we romanticize something that's actually incredibly difficult. And lockdown certainly taught me that, you know, unlike most dads who get two weeks of paternity leave and then away they go, I've actually been part of this little dude's life every day since he was born because I've been working from home, which is, is really great for a million reasons and has certainly given me insight into the real world of being a mom, which I think a lot of dads don't actually get. So I really have nothing but respect for moms, I must say. I've been somewhat grateful for lockdown in some respects, obviously, with the ultimate paternity leave. And I must say your product was a lifesaver. <laughs> that stage one carrier, this is your Ubuntu Baba free punt, but it comes from <laughs> someone who loves your product. It really got me through lockdown. There were many times where I had to do work calls uh, with little baby guys sleeping basically on my chest. So he became a slight celebrity at work. And uh, yeah, it's just great memories, I must say, that I wouldn't change. So the Startup Junto, as the listeners hopefully know, is a podcast hosted by myself and the Venturing Vagabond. He shares my love of startups and he knows far more about them than I ever will. He's not a dad yet, but perhaps that day will come. Welcome to the show, Vagabond. You're going to have to be honest with me now. Would you actually know what to do with an Ubuntu Baba if I passed one to you? In fact, would you even know what to do with a Baba at all? <laughs> I'm going to delay my answer on that and first say, hello, Shannon. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. I'm a big fan of yours. And so I'm really excited for the discussion today. And Ghost, uh, thanks for that hospital pass. I think you know the answer to both of those. Uh, it's a big no on, on both fronts. I've recently mastered the fine art of entertaining my seven-year-old nephew and my five-year-old niece. So I guess mastering a baby carrier is potentially my next step in the journey. That's good practice. Trust me, you learn on the job. You'll figure it out. <laughs> So, Shannon, I wanted to just kick us off with two quotes. So one is from Seth Godin, and it says, marketing is no longer about the stuff you make, but about the stories you tell. And that's something that really resonated with us when we look at your business and, and what it's all about. And the second quote is actually from something you wrote, from a blog you wrote about the fight that defined your business. And I promise you, we're not here to just talk about the Woolworths story, because you've told that so many times. We've got lots of other stuff to talk about, but I really just had to read this. So it says, the second meeting with them was my favorite because, girl, we brought babies. 
Our baby-wearing educator at the time, Sammy, rocked up late to the meeting, cause baby, and she arrived a gorgeous hot mess with her baby in the carrier and all the mom stuff. If I could have taken a photo in that moment, ah, oh, the joy that filled my heart, watching a mom rock up to the second business meeting we'd ever had in that shop, while the media was frothing on what would go down in that meeting. And there she was, the shining, beautiful example of what motherhood actually looks like. I loved it. And I just thought that's, that quote was so great. It, it, it gives people such insight into everything you're about. And you're about stories. You're clearly about problem solving if you read your blogs. I'm going to let you talk now and tell us how you've combined the two so well in Ubuntu Baba. I mean, at the end of the day, you basically built a product to sell to yourself, didn't you? Yes, thank you for that. Um, good background and the research that you did into that. Um, that was a nice reminder. Yeah, so um, talking about postnatal depression, um, you know, it's it's very nice hearing your experience of fatherhood and that the carrier helped you so much because that was exactly why it turned into a business. Because for me, I discovered baby wearing through another baby wearing product. And um, I remember when I started using it, it was about the three week mark. And um, I, I just remember the feeling of having my child sleeping on my chest and going, wow, like this is a, a stark contrast from the first three weeks where I had no idea what to do with him, how to get him to sleep. Um, it was very different for me from one day to the next. And it was just such a, a mess in like those first three weeks. And as soon as I had this little simple tool of being able to wear my baby, um, everything changed for me. And so that's where this whole idea came from. And um, just having that baby carrier as a tool to go back out into the world again was that was solving a problem on its own because at that point I was a web designer. And so I wasn't able, like you said, it was so difficult to work or get anything done with this baby that needed me 24 seven. So having this tool to just be able to strap him to my body and that was a problem solved. Um, and that story was something that was so life changing for me that when I got to the point of having to upgrade and try and find something else to take me further, um, I went on this journey and I just couldn't find something to you know, meet all the needs that I had as a web designer. And I thought, if I've got this problem, there must be other people out there, that's, other moms out there that are wanting to get back to work, back to their jobs, or just back to their lives, you know, just going shopping, the simple task of going to the shops and you know, doing the, the weekly groceries became like this momentous task because now I had this baby and this pram and, you know, if the baby started crying, then I've got a pram, I've got a trolley, I've got a baby. It's really overwhelming. As soon as I added a baby carrier to that, it was like, take the baby out of the car seat, strap him to my body and go in. And it's almost like I was pregnant again, which was great, hands free, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, um, going into motherhood and I was one of the first in my um, kind of close-knit group of friends to be an entrepreneur and a mom at the same time you know there was this desperation to have to get back to work and make money um, I was like this is something there's definitely a gap here and this is a story worth telling you know so I, I'm I've always been a storyteller I love hearing people's stories I think our stories are so important um, so it was great to be able to marry the two together and create a product that could you know be useful for other people Mrs. Ghost always used to talk about having a Velcro baby. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you haven't had a baby, you just will not understand this. But sometimes you just cannot put, in fact, most of the day, you cannot put them down. Mm. You just don't understand this unless you've had a baby. Vagabond, your time will come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Shannon, when one reads your blog or checks out your Instagram page, and I'm, I've got a confession to make, I've, I've read every single one of your 
of your blog posts over the last uh, seven or eight years. So the one thing that strikes me immediately is your clear love for South Africa and its people. Um, having worked in both Europe and Japan, I've always found SA to have a certain type of magnetism, something that draws you in, and being overseas always makes me appreciate this beautiful country we have even more. Uh, we understand that you've spent some time in Ireland before, so, I mean, you've seen a bit of the world. So what is it? What is it about this place, South Africa, that you love so much? And to what extent did that inspire the name Ubuntu Baba, which is so uniquely South African? Mm. Um, yeah, well, you've done your research. Um, it's nowhere to hide when you have your own <laughs> online blog, Shannon. Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> so I'll talk about the name Ubuntu Baba first. So I remember when my friend first came over and brought me this, this first baby product, which was a stretchy wrap. I remember putting it on and working out how to use it and it, my, it was the first time that my son had slept for three hours um, and he was three weeks old and he slept on my body and I just had this epiphany like while he was asleep on me and I was so comfortable, he was so comfortable and I was like, do you know what's crazy? I said to her, I've been living in South Africa my whole life and I've just realized now that African women wear their babies. Like I see this every single day going out into the world and I've taken the train for years and I've never as a new mom put these two things together. It's just like, I was just like, put him in the pram, put him in the bouncy chair, rock him, like do all these things to make him sleep. But then I've never seen a newborn baby or a small young African baby crying because they're always on their mother. And I was like, this is just, you know, and when I started researching baby wearing, I realized it's such an ancient art and it's like, goes back to like old traditions of wearing your baby and the pram is actually not very it's a very very new invention it's like 200 years old and so I wanted to go back to you know the roots of baby wearing and give it an African name and I just loved the meaning of the word Ubuntu which is I am because we are um, and it just it meant so much to me as a new mom with this new baby you know like that was inside of me and out on the outside. So it was just such a beautiful meaning. And that's, that's where that name came from. Um, as regards to traveling, yeah, I've traveled, um, I've been, I've lived in Ireland for eight months stint. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a really long time ago. Um, that was like 2004. Um, I've traveled to California, I've seen Indonesia, Switzerland, um, Italy, and every time, and it's it's funny you ask this question, I was actually in a coffee shop today, a very empty coffee shop, and um, one just down the road here in Big Bay, and I um, bumped into a friend, and we were just chatting, and um, we were talking about, you know, all the kite surfers that have gone back to their countries now because they can't go to the beaches and everything, and we were just, he was, he's also a really positive guy, and it was such a great conversation, and we, were, we got onto the topic of South Africa and traveling, and I said to him, you know, I remember being on a beach in Italy and just lying on that beach, looking at the ocean was so beautiful. We had traveled so far to get there. But at the same time, I was like, you know, it's got nothing on, on Cape Town's beaches. Like, it's just there's so, <laughs> some magnetic pull for me um, that I just I, this is my home. Like I've whenever I've left or when I went to go work in Ireland, it was really to make money. It wasn't, I was never a person that wanted to leave South Africa. I'm still not a person that wants to leave South Africa. I think that we've got so much untapped potential here. Um, and there's just, so there's, you know, in terms of uh, the pandemic, um, 
launching a new business during a pandemic. I've met lots of people that have done it. And the there's probably the least amount of red tape here than anywhere else in the world. And I just think it's such a um, amazing environment for entrepreneurship. And that's obviously my passion. Yeah, I absolutely love that story because there's a lot of times that I speak to my friends and people that haven't necessarily been overseas. And one thing that I always tell them is to go and see what's on the other side of the world. And one of the key things or the key uh, takebacks that you'll have, or takeaways that you'll have, is the fact that you'll appreciate South Africa so much more. And it's that exact story that you were saying whilst you're on the beach in Italy, then all of a sudden you get these flashbacks to South Africa. So that's really nice. And the next thing, uh, Shannon, is we want to speak about uh, generosity and um, I mean, you can correct us if, if we're wrong, but we also read this another story that said um, that you wrote where you stated that you sent five emails to five of your closest friends. And then you also sent five e- emails to five of your most recent clients to ask them what your best three traits are. And the report card came back as generous, honest and encouraging. And I mean, all the stories that we've read that really shines through the generosity aspect. But what we wanted to know is, can you tell us a little bit about where that generosity comes from? And then also how Ubuntu Baba gives back and how you feel about community building in general. Yeah, so um, as Ubuntu Baba, um, you know, as a South African business, when I launched it, I was in a space, uh, I was a web designer, I was very interested in... um, the field of entrepreneurship and I remember um, the business Tom's where they you know you buy a pair of shoes they give a pair of shoes and those those type of business models um, I'd worked very closely with Santa's shoebox um, on a project I actually worked like right through my pregnancy on a project with them and I was just attracted to this kind of new way of doing business like we, we're doing business to make money um, but we're also doing it to give back. And especially being a South African, living in South Africa, you know, being privileged enough to be able to hire a domestic worker, have a gardener, you know, my whole life I saw this. Um, you make relationships with these people and you just get exposed to the contrast of life, you know. Um, growing up kind of middle class and then, you know, as you grow older and you venture out and you start to see what Camps Bay and Clifton houses look like and, um, you know, and then you drive up into Heart Bay and you see the absolute contrast from the, the um, township on the one side and these mansions on the other side. Um, I just don't think that it's viable or not viable, but I don't think it's the right thing. For me, it just felt like if you run a business and you're making money, why not build into your business um, plan or your financial um, side of your business extra profit for giving back? Because if somebody can afford to buy well, like, for example, my product, a 1,500 rand baby carrier, they can afford to buy a slightly 50 rand more baby carrier or whatever you're selling um, and give that back to the community. I think that's probably where some of the generosity comes from. I don't remember that um, post that you that you were referring to, <laughs> um, but um, that's, that was quite a nice reminder as well. Um, and <laughs> the in terms of Ubuntu Baba, how we work, so... Yeah, when I started out, when I had the pricing model for Ubuntu Baba, I actually went um, before I launched, just before I launched the business to meet, I have a a mentor friend and he actually put me in touch with a different 
friend of his, he, he said was a numbers guy. And he was like, you got to go sit down with him and just, you know, go through it just before you launch, just make sure everything's fine. And I sat down with him and I had this giving back model built in from day one. And he said to me, um, he was like, cool, you want to also um, sell jam and honey? And I was like, uh, what are you talking about? Um, and he was like, well, are you, is this a hobby business? Like, because there's no room for profit here. There's no room for this, that, the rest. And it was such a great conversation because he said to me, if you want to be good, you, if you want to do good, you first have to be good. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting because he was like, if you can't pay yourself, you're not going to be able to sustain, you know, building this business that's going to be able to give back. And I think that was such really valuable advice. My pricing model was also completely out. Um, and thank goodness, because I launched the next week and I pushed the price right up. Um, and I'm really, really grateful for that because since then we start, then we started giving back when we could actually afford it. And We've had a, di a few different models of giving back, um, but the one we've landed on now is um, we give 16 Rand back from every purchase. So every product purchase, no matter how expensive it is, or um, if it's just a set of teething pads, 16 Rand from that goes to our uh, monthly contribution to a charity that is in our, well, they were in our neighborhood when we had our shop. Um, they were on our back door basically. And um, we work, well, we know those ladies really well and they just do amazing work in the community. So, yeah, so to date, we've just, um, I think it was in November, we cracked the 100,000 rand mark of giving back, which was like a really good feeling. So I've no doubt that people say you're an inspiration to moms everywhere, but I think that's selling you short. And the reason I think that is because I think you're actually an inspiration to any business owner, not just a mom. I really do believe that. So as you pointed out, your background is actually in digital marketing. It's not in finance. So mine is in finance. The Vagabonds is in finance. Digital marketing actually scares me. Uh, as the finance goes, I find it to be probably the harder part of what I'm trying to do with the platform. I've had to learn all about the stuff that was your bread and butter. You clearly had to learn about the stuff that was mine. And it's interesting that you bring that up and it shows how important it is to have a mentor that really covers off your blind spots. And I recall um, in my previous job, we had a client who once said to me, there are only three roles in any business. And it's pretty simple. It's sales, operations, and finance. And whenever he looks for a good CEO, he always looks for how that CEO covers off blind spots. So if it's a really charismatic sales type CEO where that person is the face of the business, but doesn't necessarily have a strong financial background, there needs to be a strong finance person behind the scenes covering it off or a strong ops person, whatever the case may be. So, you know, has that been your experience with this? And obviously you've got the digital marketing strength and I think you've done a great job of, of, of doing that sales side of the business. Finance was definitely a, a blind spot at the time, but you know, where do you think you are now? What's that journey been? Yeah, so that's interesting. So sales, operations, and finance. Um, so I think that people put marketing under sales, and I think it's two different things. And I think that's what's important here is that there's there's often that gap is that people they'll create the website, they'll create they'll create the place where they sell their stuff, and they've got the product and they've got the place to sell the stuff. But then how do you get the customer there? And that's the marketing. Um, and in terms of finance, like I still look at that. I think costing is very important. Um, I've never been great with money um, in terms of managing my money, but I think I have a very abundant money mindset. Um, and so that works in my favor. Like 
I mean, if talking about Ireland, I remember being in Ireland uh, when we went. I went with my boyfriend at the time, so 2004, um, I don't know, 22 years old or something, and I remember my dad gave me 10,000 rand. And he said, that's all I have. That's what you can take and make it work. And that was for two of us. And we had to go find a place to stay, get a job. And we were right down to, I'm not joking, five euros. <laughs> and I still wasn't worried. And I don't know how. Like, this is just built in my DNA. Like, I have no problem with, like, I just know things are going to work out. And I think that's been a strength of mine. Um, but, um, at, like, combined with the fact that I costed my product correctly and understood costing. Um, that I think is something that a lot of entrepreneurs, they start out and they do their costing based on their working out of what they think and also often based on what do the competitors look like, which I think is a huge mistake um, because a lot of people said to me, well, how can you launch your business with your baby carrot 1,200 rand when the other um, local product is 600 rand? And it's double the price. Who's going to pay that? And I said, well, it's double the price because it's worth double the price. And I believed that for myself. So, you know, my costing was right. Um, my financial management of money was has always been terrible um, and <laughs> probably has been terrible up until I hired my COO. <laughs> um, There's that blind spot. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, she was only hired in April this year, last year. So um, we still got to where we got to without understanding that, but having a good money mindset and having everything else in place, I think, um, you know, and, and the other blind spot was obviously IP, which I had no clue about, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, some lessons are truly learned on the job. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so seeing that the ghosts and I have uh, don't have anything better to do, we're always discussing what makes a great entrepreneur. And Shannon, you've already shed some of those uh, characteristics just now, the risk-taking and all of those. So one of my favorite investors, Mike Maples Jr., says that entrepreneurs should be anti-fragile, uh, a term coined by Nassim Taleb, which is simply referring to people that not only adapt to difficult situations, but they actually get better under pressure. So we've seen this with you in two examples, uh, one being the much-publicized run-in with Willys, which we'll get to shortly, but then also being able to pivot during the lockdown and starting to sell face masks. Um, so what other characteristics do you think are essential for, for up and coming entrepreneurs? So I think my number one thing that I always say is you have to be your own biggest supporter as an entrepreneur. Um, I mean, I've been kind of living the entrepre entrepreneur life um, doing you know different projects over the years um, for a long time now kind of like since I was 15 16 it kind of kicked in um, and there's been many times where you know the people around me are like oh it's a bad idea or you know you're putting so much time into this are you sure like um, it's gotten to a point I remember launching a course an online course I did once I spent weeks doing it it was like to help people create their blog and um, it was just too early. No one wanted to create a blog. Um, I was following all these American people online and I thought it was going to be like, you know, the biggest thing in South Africa and all my friends are going to want to start a blog. 
and I put all this time and effort and energy into it and um, I launched it and like five friends asked questions. I mean, you know, Facebook, there wasn't many of my circle of friends doing this kind of stuff. A couple of friends asked questions and one of my friends um, was interested and then I hadn't sold any. So I gave all my friends 50% off coupon code and two of them bought it. And I remember being so excited. I was like, yeah, I made my first sale. A friend of mine was around and he was like, oh, who, who bought it? You, you seem really happy. And I was like, no, my friend Tanya, she bought it. I'm so stoked. He was like, well, is that really real? Is that like really a sale? Because like, you know her. And like, I remember, I always remember that like as a, almost like a turning point for me because I was like, in my head, I was like, you know, I could get angry about this and defensive or I could be like, actually, yes, that is a real sale to me and I'm going to celebrate that. And even though he's a good friend of mine, that's that's his perception, you know. So I think it's really important for entrepreneurs because it's difficult. Like as soon as you've launched something, there's like all this fear and anxiety, like what if this doesn't work? Um, and there's a good chance it won't work. But that's not what it's about. It's about actually putting the work in, launching the thing and learning from, you know, that whole journey. And whether it works or not, you've still got to be proud of yourself. You've still got to pat yourself on the back. And there'll be so many times as an entrepreneur where you are, you know, you, you feel like you want to throw in the towel or you're just like, oh, this is just not working out the way I wanted. And you just got to get back to your purpose as to why you're doing what you're doing and lift yourself up because nobody else is going to do that. And I've learned that many times over and over again. And the the faster you can pick up that skill of, you know, finding your mentors to keep you motivated or having little reminders around your house um and mentors can be like someone on a podcast it can be a book you know like for me I feel like Seth Godin like lives in my brain now because I've read his stuff so much you know you picked a good quote yeah it's actually interesting you picked that quote because I think I um I think I actually put that on one of our Ubuntu Baba Instagram um things just after the Woolworths thing, I think we shared that image. So it's one of my favorites. Vagabond, tell us your secrets. Is that where you got it from? Because you found that quote. Yeah, so no, I didn't find it there. And I mean, yeah, the two of us are also quite big Seth Godin fans. So yeah, that's that's awesome. That's amazing. That's how we knew we were accidental investment bankers. When we were reading Seth Godin and other people were reading about, you know, pricing collateralized debt instruments, at that point you realize that you are <laughs> the round peg in the square hole. Shannon, I've just got one more question on the being your own biggest supporter. How does that tie into following your own gut? Well, it comes down to comes down to intuition, and um, I mean, I'm tot- I'm so into Kundalini meditation and the practices that help me to stay grounded and in in tune with my intuition, like to be able to actually listen to whatever it is that I'm <laughs> or wherever it is I'm downloading this wisdom from but you know there's there, there's this other realm that we can tune into and we can only do that if we are able to become still and you know just get back to our roots you've got to be super clear as to what why you are doing what you are doing and what is the the purpose of your journey that you're on as an entrepreneur and I think if you can understand that and you can understand your customer and what you're trying to solve for them and then, you know, have your values in place as well and then align with mentors that are kind of got those same values as you. It doesn't mean everything they say is going to be right, but it can often it can just give you the contrast you need, you know. Um, so, you know, sometimes you'll find yourself where you need to make a, 
uh, instinctive decision like right then and there. But if you do have the space to take it home, think about it, sit with it for a bit, um, that can be valuable. Um, and sometimes it can be super overwhelming as well if you've got, you know, contrasting opinions from different mentors. So I think it just comes with practice. You know, you have to make mistakes. You can't be afraid. You're never going to get it right every time. Um, and I don't think there's any such thing as a mistake. You know, everything um, that you are doing on your journey is is taking you on a different fork, you know. Um, so everything is always as it should be, you know, in your world. There's, even if it seems upside down and terrible, there's always something to learn from that experience and it's a point to grow from, you know. So Shannon, something I want to comment on with all of that is a couple of things. One, I have a friend who once said to me, be careful of starting a Tupperware business. I said to him, what the hell is a Tupperware business? So he said, well, it's when you start a business selling Tupperware and your auntie buys all three of your first products and you go, oh, this is fantastic. I can sell a lot of Tupperware. And it's interesting because it's very similar to the sort of course that you launched. But you're right, you still have to celebrate your success. I mean, even in the finance ghost, you know, my initial cheerleaders were family and friends who read it and said, hey, this is okay, you know, you're explaining stuff in a way that I understand. And that's the first time I've ever read financial stuff in a way that I understand. We can see what you're trying to do here, you know, carry on. And the finance ghost is definitely not Ubuntu Baba. And maybe one day when I'm big, it will be as cool as that. But it's on the right track. And I think those cheerleaders are, are really important because that circle just gets bigger as you go. It starts with your immediate friends, then it's their friends, then it's their friends. And it just becomes this ripple effect that starts with your immediate circle. I think that's how all businesses have to start. I can't imagine how else to do it. You know, you've, you've got to start with people who support you right yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, 100%. Word of mouth marketing is the best. Yeah, exactly. So something you mentioned before on the Family Finance Show was that you took out a personal loan when you hired someone. I think it was 100,000 Rand and you were willing to share that. Look, that's a big move, obviously. Um, at some point, serious bravery is needed in most businesses. And a lot of entrepreneurs say they kind of have this crossing the Rubicon moment where it's now go or no go. You know, it's a bit of a do or die now or never pick whatever cliche you like. Is that very much how it felt at the time? Did you feel like at that point it was, okay, you know, this is the moment where I'm now truly backing this thing? Or what was that crossing the Rubicon moment for you where you realized this is it now? Yeah, so I don't know if I felt that at that point. Um, I believed in the product so much the loan was also from my father, which obviously, you know, I didn't actually want to lend from my father because I've lent and paid him back about a hundred times in my life. And I was like, I'm a big girl now. <laughs> I'm going to do this myself. Um, but I spoke to the bank and I spoke to a couple people and the same mentor that I come back to, Roy, he said to me, um, the best thing you can do is like, is if you've got family or friends that can lend you the money, just make them an offer. So my offer to my dad was I'll pay him back 14% interest and I'll pay him the interest every month and I'll pay him back in a year. Um, I paid him back in like 16 months, but he got some nice interest on that money and he was happy with that. Roy's a wise man. Roy, if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> he is a very wise man. Um, and yeah, so it was, and it's not because it was my dad that I was more calm about it I think I remember the point just to paint the picture a little bit I so I was I had Leo still and I would have put him in the baby carrier I would use my pram to stack the boxes that were being couriered I didn't have a courier company yet I was using Aramex I was sticking it in the box at pick and pay 
And I live close enough to pick and pay to strap my baby to my body and walk the pram with all these boxes strapped to them to pick and pay and sit on the bench there filling out all the weighables and pop it in the box. So that, and then the morning was spent balancing Leo. Um, I didn't have a nanny at that point. And so it was spent balancing my son, doing all the mom stuff, um, looking at emails, posting on Facebook, um, making sure the orders that were coming through were going out, you know, communicating with the factory that we had enough stock and we were ordering. I mean, it was just, I don't actually know how I did it. Um, but it got to the point where I was like, I'm going to lose my mind if I don't hire someone. Um, so, and then the other thing that I was struggling with is I needed to do a professional photo shoot. So I worked out how much money I needed. Um, I knew I needed at least 50,000. So I times that by two. And I had a plan with exactly what to do with that money. And um, I wasn't, I really didn't feel that moment of like, shit, am I doing the right thing here? I knew I was doing the right thing because I, I believed in the product 100%. I'd got to the point of having enough momentum, having enough sales and traction to know that if I put some money into this now, it was going to pay me back. And if I carried on, I was probably going to have a nervous breakdown. So <laughs> that was kind of... Um, yeah, that point. I don't know if I have probably reached that point a few times of um, like, you know, being like, sure, is this the right decision? Is this the wrong decision? Um, especially during the pandemic where we had to kind of pivot a little bit. Um, like I said, I hired my COO on the 1st of April. You know, that that contract was already in place to hire her. Um, so that was obviously a big, big step for me. Mm. But at the same time, in lockdown. yeah, everyone was getting rid of staff and I was hiring a COO. Um, but I knew her personally, she had covered for another one of my staff on maternity leave and I knew that I needed her and it was, yeah, it was the best decision for us. That's brilliant. So yeah, borrowing from family makes a hell of a lot of sense. And it's something I've actually uh, written about before where, you know, whether you're paying interest to the bank or to a family member, it's actually not a, it's not a bad thing. People think, oh, it's a handout. So you paid your dad 14% interest. That's not a handout. He did well out of it. And so did you. The bank wasn't going to give you the money. You paid him a very fair rate for lending to a startup. He got a good return. Everyone wins. So in those situations, it's great advice that you were given, you know, to put in place a loan on proper market-related terms. And it just shows how often our local banks just miss the trick completely. They just do not lend to small businesses. It's incredible. Still, to this day, trying to get money in this country to start a small business. If you don't have family and friends with a little bit of ammo to help you, you are going to really struggle. And, mm. you know, it's part of why we continue to have an economy that is dominated by huge players with fewer and fewer small businesses. It's, it's, it's really a problem here. Mm. Yeah. So retail distribution, Shannon, is a fascinating area all on its own. Now, obviously, the last sort of 12 months, we've seen a big explosion in e-commerce across the globe. Uh, we can see it in the results of companies like Shopify. You can read annual reports of local retailers and see all the commentary there. And often that's to the benefit of the consumer more than the retailer because the significant costs of delivery, you know, people don't realize it's actually not that easy to run an online store. There's a lot of costs that come with that. Some of the biggest online stores people know are actually making losses. So you've historically focused more on these kind of baby boutiques. I mean, you had this, this really cool space in Lakeside and I read your blog about how hard that decision was to close that over lockdown. There was clearly a lot of emotion coming through in that. So we were curious if your thinking has maybe changed as a result of lockdown in terms of distribution. Do you think you'll ever use big retailers? I mean, I can guess which one you probably won't use, but you know, do you hope to reopen a similar concept to Lakeside? Any 
real change in your thinking with distribution as a result of lockdown? So we had to pivot because, you know, pivot. We had to do that because... You never get through a startup podcast without of it. It's one can't. of those. It's just one of those. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we had to because we were, we had a lot of foot traffic coming to that shop. And even though it was just, that shop was just in Cape Town, in my head, I was opening one in Santon one day, you know. And um, it was basically there. We had yoga classes. We would have workshops, birth workshops. We, every Friday we would have talks where moms would come in, um, bring their newborn babies, all the moms on maternity leave. There'd be massages for them and coffee and, and muffins and speakers. Did you do that meditation that sounded like a type of pasta? I can't remember the name. What was it? You mentioned it earlier. Kundalini. That one. Oh, we didn't do that. That 100% sounds like a type of pasta. I will not lie <laughs> to you. Kundalini. It really does. Is there no Kundalini meditation? We, uh, we probably touched on subjects like that, but it was more focused on the fourth trimester, yeah. um, which is a huge mess. So there was like yes. la- <laughs> lactation consultants, which if you have not had a baby, you have no clue what that is. Um, but yeah, we had different types of speakers. We had psychologists come in. Um, just from all walks of life, um, and it was it was so great. But the the thing that was nice is that it was a cycle of moms, and those moms would make friends with each other, and they would join WhatsApp groups. And the word of mouth um, for our carrier, really in Cape Town, we had a lot coming from there every day. There would be somebody coming in to buy a carrier, which really you know paying the rent in that small shop wasn't a problem, um, and it was such a lovely experience for a mom to come in there. Um, meet with with Megan, talk to her, you know, have have somebody selling her a product that they've used, that they understand how it's going to help her and just make her feel good about herself. And so it was a really uh, um, a special space. And that's kind of what I wanted. That was the idea was that we're going to open these all over the show um, and replicate that. And yeah, when lockdown came, we obviously had to look at the rent and look at how long this might last. And after a few months, I just was like, no, we've got to call it. Um, We then decided, okay, people are going to malls because, you know, they can still go to malls. They can still do their shopping there. And we have lost that foot traffic in Cape Town. So we reached out and we started um, pushing sales through to some of the wholesalers, but nothing um, like big corporate massive wholesalers they're all kind of smaller um more focused baby shops that you know they've got their clientele and their clientele are um they've got a relationship with them so they'll go there for all their baby stuff they won't go shopping around or they won't go to the bigger the bigger chains they'll just go to the smaller boutiques and and those for us have always worked the best the smaller the little boutique is and more focused they are on their relationships with their clients that's where we get the most sales from i mean some of the smaller boutiques have moved huge amounts of stock for us that we i mean we can't even believe over the years how much stock they've moved for us but in relation to our online sales that is 95 percent of our sales is online like five percent come from wholesale but that said during the pandemic we if we didn't have those wholesalers we would have had a problem with cash flow Interesting. Yeah, I think having distribution in various places is the answer. Hey, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, for sure. Big lesson there. So look, we have to touch on the Woolly stories. We're not going to rehash it. It was David versus Goliath. David won. A lot of people were cheering for you at the time, me included, definitely. Uh, you really did win the hearts of public opinion. I think you did a great job. The only question on that topic, entrepreneurs from time to time deal with crisis. 
Sometimes something happens that will really define whether or not your business will still be there 12 months from now. What would be your major piece of advice to an entrepreneur who finds himself or herself in this kind of situation where there's a fight literally for survival? Yeah, so crisis, um, crisis situation, I think that before you jump in head first, um, which is, you know, obviously going to be the, the initial reaction, you know, as soon as you find out that someone has done something like that, or you're in a situation where you're going to lose your business, you, you're going straight into survival mode there, and there's no logical thinking there. So to just give yourself some space, first of all, to, you know, calm and bring yourself back to a space of actually having a logical brain to make decisions with, um, that's number one. And then number two is deciding like what is the outcome that you're looking for um, before just going in, you know, guns blazing is what what are you trying to get out of this by confronting them, by taking them on? What do you want to achieve? And are you willing to lose and risk um, certain things in the process? Because the tables can turn very quickly. Um, you know, as soon as you're thrown into the limelight, and this is why I was very happy to have my lawyers on my side as they warned me about this, they said, if you're going to go the social media route, beware that there's going to be people out there trying to make you look like the baddie. And you say one thing wrong, that situation's going to flip on you. So you got to be, um, you've got to stay grounded, and you've got to be understanding of what you're trying to get out of it. So for me, going in there, I knew, like I spent the time. It was perfect timing because it was the end of the year, going into the new year, and you know people were closed, and the timing gave me. It kind of forced me to take the time. But I knew that going in, I wanted to do, my outcome that I wanted was I wanted to set an example for other entrepreneurs. And I had the leverage from the last two cases before. And they were great examples to me. And I wanted to teach them a lesson. And those were my two outcomes. I was not going to stand down um, and be held down by a gag order or anything like that. I was like, I'm teaching these people a lesson. You don't get to come in here and do this. And, you know, being passionate about South Africa you know, from my point of view, we had the staff, the factory was closed and our staff that live in Mitchell's Plain went to the shop the next day and they saw on the cover of the newspaper that what had happened and they thought they had no jobs. They were like, it's over for us. And I think for me, I wasn't fighting anything for myself. I was fighting it for them. You know, all those phone calls that came in and um, it was for them. And then I was just like, you don't get to be walking into 2019 saying good business journey and um, and then do this, I'm sorry, like get a life. So that was my outcome and I knew that going in and I wasn't, no matter what was put on the table, if I didn't get those two things, I'm gonna set a good example and teach you a lesson. And so for me, that was that. But if you're going in trying to, you know, straight away be like, oh, I'm gonna settle, I'm gonna get this money out of them or you're gonna have to have a lawyer on your side because I thought I knew a lot about law until I sat down with my lawyers. And, and got taught a lesson by them because there was no way as I was winning in the court. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to win that in the court of public opinion. Yeah. Like it's just too painful for them to be in this situation. So really well done. Yeah. Genuinely do mean that. Thanks. So we're getting to the end of the podcast and we've got a couple of questions for you. Quick ones with quick answers just to learn a little bit more about you. So I'll go first and then the Vagabond can take over from there and we'll go one and one. So the first one is your favorite podcast and uh, your favorite book. Favorite podcast will be Simon Sinek's A Little Bit of Optimism. Absolutely loved that. It was super inspiring during lockdown. Favorite book would be, my favorite book would be The Tale of Pooh and The Tale of Piglet. 
So that is by Benjamin Hoff, and it's The Principles of Taoism. It's just such a sweet book. I loved Winnie the Pooh when I was younger, and that's kind of what attracted me to it. But I got so much out of it. I've read it so many times. It's basically about sitting at the side of a river and <laughs> taking in all the wisdom. But there's a lot to the book. It's really beautiful. So I, I've gifted that to many people. That's cool. Does it touch on all the stuff from the Winnie the Pooh books about how, because I mean, there's so much stuff in there that is so applicable to life. Yeah, absolutely. Really, it's a whole cool. dialogue between Pooh, Piglet, Eeyore. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Hmm, that sounds epic. Thank you. That's a great answer. Okay. Why did you decide to pick up Italian during the lockdown of all the languages you could have chosen? Might I say, I'm half Italian. That is an excellent choice. Don't let the vagabond talk it down there. I hear him going, of all the languages. Well, I do have an Italian passport because I have an Italian mother. <laughs> oh, me too. Snap. Yeah, we can uh, so... compare afterwards. Okay, that that makes sense. Yeah, we were brought up <laughs> listening to a lot of Italian, but not taught any Italian. So I was always cross with my mom about that. I said, why didn't you speak to us in Italian? I'm exactly the same boat. I was a can't speak. I Hence... think it's so she could talk about us. <laughs> Hence my pasta joke. Love you, mom. Yeah, I'm going to get mad. That's awesome. We do, that's something we really have in common. That's brilliant. Uh, well done, by the way. I've been meaning to pick it up forever and just haven't gotten it done. Um, your favorite brand? I suppose you'd have to say Ubuntu Baba, but I mean, outside of that. Spanx by Sarah Blakely, 100%. Cool. There we go. Okay. The person that has inspired you the most? I'd say Marie Folio um, in terms of like people that I haven't met yet, that I've been following and reading and consuming all their um, content, Marie Folio. So on behalf of everyone who doesn't know who that is? Marie Folio is an entrepreneur. Um, she's been on Oprah's Super Soul Sundays. She's just an incredible human. She has like an online business school, like B-schoolers or something like that? B-school, yeah, I'm a B-schooler. <laughs> 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 That's brilliant. And last question for you. The first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Meditate. <laughs> That's cool. Once a day. Sometimes more, actually. So actually, um, that's not entirely honest. So sometimes I'll wake up and I'll just, I get up at five every day, sometimes earlier. Um, and I go to bed really early. I go to bed at like half past nine um, because I go to bed with my son and it just makes my life easier. We just fall asleep together. And I wake up at Hopper's 4 or 5. Sometimes I'll get up and have a cup of tea first. But the first thing I actually do is open all the doors and let air in. Um, and then sometimes I'll have a cup of tea first. Sometimes I will meditate for half an hour. Sometimes I'll just get straight into work and have like a two-hour session. Um, but I do meditate every day. Sometimes I'll meditate at night as well. Um, and I'm also obsessed with handstands. So I do a lot of handstands. <laughs> if, you, if you see my Instagram, you will <laughs> you will see notice that. You can maybe try to pick that up with Italian as well. <laughs> yeah, I'll learn how to do handstands, Italian, and waking up at five. I should learn how to do that too, because I go to bed most nights at one, and then I like, like come out of bed in a coma, basically, at seven. Mm. It's not great. Mm. Shannon, thank you. This has been really great. And uh, just on behalf of the Vagabond and I, thank you for being the second episode of the Startup Junta. I've learned a lot from you. I think you are one of the coolest entrepreneurs Thanks in South so much, Africa. Ken. And it's really been great to have you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. It was so much fun.